Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. Well, hello, folks, and welcome to your weekly tennis podcast, your final weekly tennis podcast before the US Open gets underway in earnest one week from today. Four days from today, exactly, we will all be in the air en route to New York. And for that reason, and for the reason that all of our football teams one at the weekend, some more unexpectedly than others. Uh, we're all super duper pumped, aren't we, David? Yeah. I, actually, I think they were all pretty surprisingly <laughs> victorious um, and uh, delighted we all were. But yeah, we. I don't know. I just feel like Christmas is coming going to New York um, again after three years of not going. And just, I, I suspect. We will all appreciate it all the more because we haven't been for so long, and and I think that every year I I got a buzz when we would when we would take off, when we would arrive, go through, and then you're in the city. I don't think I don't think anything will be like this since I first arrived there in 2003. I really don't because I I, I was lucky enough to go every single year between 2003 and 2019, and you, inevitably you take it a bit for granted. And and I just don't think that that will be the case this time. How many hours into the uh, U.S. passport queue do you think it'll be before uh, our collective buzz has entirely worn off? Do you think? <laughs> I mean, it'll be yeah. about four and a half minutes for me, but you'll still, you'll be representing a little bit longer. Uh, Matt, <sighs> Christmas came for you on Saturday, so I don't know what that makes a trip to New York, a sort of underwhelming Boxing Day type <laughs> situation. You've peaked too soon. No, I can I can go off to New York safe in the knowledge that Fulham are doing well in the Premier League and I can leave them behind and come back in two weeks when they're probably still on the same number of points that are on now. <laughs> But there's enough of a buffer. Exactly. I am so excited <laughs> about New York. So excited. I promise to be David Law style in the Gardunor queue about it all if we are waiting forever in passport. I'm I'm gonna keep my spirits up. 
We're recording two Tennis Relived episodes this week, folks, which will be available to friends of the Tennis Podcast. We'll also be going to Media Day. We won't be going to the draw because there's nothing to flip in go to, but we'll be covering the draw. Don't you worry. And uh, we'll be doing predictions this week. And my goodness me, folks, (laughs) predictions are hard at the best of times, obviously. What on earth are we supposed to do with the results from Cincinnati in terms of our predictions? This week, folks, has made me feel, and I realise this is not a good way to begin a tennis podcast, but it has made me feel like I just simply don't understand tennis at all. Take our four finalists from Cincinnati. Petra Kvitova absolutely unfathomable when she's going to hit form. No way of knowing, no way of predicting, no way of making any sense of it. Caroline Garcia is unfathomable as a human being. Everything about her utterly unfathomable, let alone her tennis results. I mean, what on earth are we going to do with Caroline Garcia's name when we come to fill out that draw? I do not know. Stefanos Sitsipas. I mean, obviously he's a great player. He's a Grand Slam finalist. But where did this form come from? Absolutely no idea where he suddenly found the Cincinnati form from. And then I've also absolutely no idea why he wasn't able to continue it in the final. The player with far greater experience in that kind of situation. And then we have Borna bloody Chorich that, quite frankly, I haven't given a single thought to in two whole years and now he's now he's in a flipping mix (laughs) (laughs) is he i i don't understand tennis (laughs) i've got i've got no analysis to offer from this week other than confusion sos folks sos I'm still reading from the fact that when I suggested that Borna Chorich might be in the mix, somewhat jovially, I was told to bog off. Yeah, I think I stand <laughs> by that at the time. Any any time up until yesterday, in the last four years, a discussion of Borna Chorich being in a Grand Slam mix would have been absurd. And now, now here we are. Well... I, On the I, cusp of that very discussion, I suspect. He's he's become Pete Sampras, David. Have you seen his serving stats? I, I haven't seen his serving stats. Do it, do enlighten me. I mean, I've seen the people he's beaten, and I, when you read them off, it is hard to, to believe that that is the guy that we've been watching for the last few years. I mean, a good player, you know, and Matt was saying the other day, you know, when he burst on the scene and he had wins over really top players, big four members... But the idea that he would be doing that after shoulder surgery, having not done anything for a couple of years, would have seemed, and it does seem, ridiculous. And uh, and it is hard to believe, watching how well he played, that it is the same bloke. Um, but no, I haven't seen the serving stats, so what's he been doing with the serve? Well, he's winning about... Uh... Up, upwards of 85% of his of his first serve points. I mean, he's an absolute colossus on serve, and it's not because he's got thunderous big it's obviously the placement and I, I here I am trying to do analysis I've already explained that I don't feel capable of that but the stats are 
extraordinary. And he suddenly, he's grown these fangs and he's grown these enormous quad muscles. And who is this guy? <laughs> An upper body muscle, I think, as well. Having mm. I actually went back and watched some of his footage from 2018, where I really did think Borna Kovic was probably on the cusp of putting himself in a Grand Slam mix that year. He gave he gave Federer fits in 2018. He beat him in the Halle final on grass. You know, that is an, in, mm. an impressive result. He then beat him in Shanghai as well. He ended up losing to Djokovic there. But he was a really good player in 2018. And he's he's a different build now. He's much bigger. And I think the serving stats, the... The numbers he's producing on that are all the more impressive because, as you mentioned, it's shoulder surgery that he's gone through. And I think he was pretty adamant, apparently, to all his physios and all the, all the surgeons and doctors working on him that he didn't want to change his service motion because he felt like it was one that worked. And what he said he's doing now is, you know, 30 minutes a day extra on his shoulder, conditioning it and just making sure it's strong enough. He says there's still some pain there. But he's able to play through it. And yeah, I mean, it was the serve to me that really stood out just in terms of his actual strokes. I think, you know, obviously his results are eye-catching. But in particular against Felix Auger-Aliassime, I don't even think Auger-Aliassime even got to deuce on the Borna Chorich serve in that match. It was it was a really dominant display. And he maybe, he maybe didn't quite have his percentage up um, against Norrie and Tsitsipas in the semifinals and finals. But... He he always found his serve when he needed it, and I thought it was it was mind blowing, really. And yeah, he's he's such a such a good player when when he's fit, and he just he just hasn't been fit for you know for so long. I think he won more matches this week than he'd won in the entire year on the ATP tour altogether. It, it really has come out of nowhere, and he's 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 gone from being outside the top 150 to being seeded at the US Open. It's it talk about sort of timing your run. It's it's amazing. Also, I mean when when you look at the the blokes he's beaten, I mean Massetti, I didn't think he would beat Massetti in the first round when I saw that draw. I thought, "Oh, Nadal's going to have his hands full against Massetti." <laughs> and then he didn't get to play him. Then he beats Nadal. We covered that the other day. Batista Agut, Felix Auger-Aliassime, Cameron Norrie who just who is so hard to beat and he kind of outdid Norrie at his own game he's just he is such a strong guy and he's so methodical and he's consistent and he's powerful particularly on on the backhand side which is really reliable Mm -hmm. he knows where that shot's going the forehand can go all over the place he can absolutely lamp it but he can he can shank it all over the shop too um so I I suppose I'm not a hundred percent convinced that he can carry this sort of form on into next week it might just be a ride but I also remember him he he really had Alexander Zverev in trouble at the US Open the year that Zverev reached the final I think it was that year Um, and I remember it was just a a horrible match it was a match befitting the the empty stadium occasion of it all Um, but to, to, to answer you to to address what you initially said Catherine about who is the favourite and who is the who are the people that we could be predicting? I do think that when we line up these draws, we could be looking at the most open open on men's and women's sides that we've had in twenty years plus. Because if Djokovic doesn't make it and there's only a few days until the thing the door closes on him altogether, 
and there's no Zverev. He's he's pulled out today, and he was in great form in Paris, and he's he's out of the the, the equation. And Medvedev, who I would have made a a pretty heavy favourite, has finally lost a match to Stefanos Tsitsipas on a hard court outdoors. That's a surprise. And as you say, then Tsitsipas doesn't back that up the next day by winning the title. And Nadal's an unknown quantity because of the fitness issues. I mean, look, I, I suppose I will still come back to the the Grand Slam mean of it all, of of it being Medvedev and Nadal at a Grand Slam, and I trust them. But on that side, there's so many more names, and I really wouldn't rule out a Chorich. I wouldn't that that some of the things I've been saying recently about Kyrgios. I think that they don't stand in quite the way they did because players have been because Medvedev lost a couple of times. It's really it does shake my my faith in the, in him a little bit. Um, and then on the women's side, Garcia's run and so many other players. It feels deeper and more unpredictable than ever, and and I absolutely love it. I'm I'm a bit scared of those predictions, but it's also very exciting. I um I had a be- debate with myself on uh, <laughs> while walking Billie Jean earlier on today about whether Cam Norrie was in the US Open mix. Yeah, he is. Mm. Now he is. I really think he, yeah, he must I think, be. Uh, I think I think so. Yeah. I think Cam Norrie is in a is in a Grand Slam mix. I think I think Borna Chorich might be in a Grand Slam mix. Sviontek's loss since we last spoke as well is just, it kind of rocks your foundations. I mean, as in terms of what you do think you know, Do you know what likely? I feel coming on here, Matt? I feel David Law putting his hands into the Petrik of it of a fire again. Oh, God. <laughs> I think he might pick Beatrice Haddad Meyer to reach back-to-back Grand Slam finals. <laughs> Wouldn't rule it out. <laughs> I must say, though, since we spoke, Nadal's loss has actually aged quite well. You know, I think Ooh, I think at the time, absolutely. at the time we saw that really all on Nadal. But actually, the signs were there that Chorich was playing well, and Nadal ended up the only guy who got a set off him in the tournament. And it was his first match for what was it, forty days or something. So, yes, I agree with you. It is a really open tournament. I absolutely do think so. And if we're if we're looking for clues from even you know Canada was pretty open as well. If we're looking for clues from those two tournaments we've just had, I think it is that it is going to be an open open, as as you said, David. But Nadal is still there, and I, I still think he is probably the favourite going into it on the men's side. I, I think so too. If I have to, if I have to pick a single favourite, it it just has to be Nadal. I think had Medvedev beaten Sitsipas and gone on to win the title. Um, I might be going Medvedev, but that. How much do we read into that loss to Sitsipas? It never lost to him on an out, uh, outdoor hard court before he seemed to be in good form. It really surprised me that Medvedev mm. loss, and and by extension, it. I hinted to it at, at, at the top of this segment about my inability to an, analyze tennis. Um, I don't understand Sitsipas not going on and capitalising on that win and, and winning the title. Now, obviously, Borna Chorich had a, a damn lot to do with that, I realise, but I, I'm surprised by all of it. I'm a bit, bit, surpri- bit surprised that you both put Nadal ahead of Medvedev at the US Open, given he's the defending champion and given that Nadal just hasn't played 
I'm surprised. I think he hadn't he hadn't played in us. Hadn't played in Australia. <laughs> well, only he had. He'd played. He'd played Melbourne one or Melbourne two or whatever it was, and won it. I realised that. But you know, he'd also been on crutches a, f- a few weeks before, hadn't he? So it, you know, what we've seen Nadal do. I mean, Matt still hasn't seen Nadal lose this year. <laughs> and Matt's going to the US. And Open. Matt's going to the US so, Open. So you know, that alone is that's the sort of tennis analysis that I'm resorting to. Folks. <laughs> I mean, in fairness, no one has seen Nadal lose this year at a Grand Slam. Yeah, but you, it feels like you've been courtside for every yeah, single match. I, uh, I have. <laughs> <laughs> Medvedev's not playing that well, I don't think. I mean, I, I felt like he should have lost to Taylor Fritz. Certainly that first set, Fritz... Fritz just didn't put him away. He had so many chances. And Medvedev, that was probably the best set he played, that second set against Fritz. But Fritz looked exhausted suddenly. He could barely walk. And Medvedev took advantage. But then he played Tsitsipas. And, you know, we talk about Borna Cioric serving well. Medvedev was serving terribly. Only two aces, 11 double faults in that match. And Medvedev without a serve is... Okay, he's still a great player from the baseline, but the serve is so important to him, and I just think he's not playing that well. Um, and then for Sitsipas, I was really impressed with how he played against Medvedev. I, I felt like he was using his slice better than I've ever seen him hit it. I still don't think it's a brilliant slice, but I think he's improved it, and he, he used it well against Medvedev. He served and volleyed a lot. He came forward. These were all good tactics. Maybe just the fact of beating Medvedev is is a big deal for Sitsipas. And I don't know, maybe he was quite drained in that final. It was a slightly odd performance. Um, it almost looked like he was sort of slightly tactically tanking at the end to try and get in Chorich's head. It was, it was all just slightly strange from him. But I did think up until then he had a little bit of his spark back this week, Sitsipas, for the first mm. time in a while. I feel like he lost it actually around this time last year when Zverev accused him of coaching and Murray had a real go at him at the US Open. I, I do think that affected Sitsipas a little bit. Mm. And I just felt like he was more more like his old self a bit this week until the final. And then that performance kind of made me question it. And then he gave, he gave that line in the, in the on-court interview saying, I don't know how many times I've lost in, in the final of a Masters 1000 on a hard court. And I was like, I really don't think it is that many times. I looked it up and it was yeah, two. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> I was thinking, what? What, I, what? Yeah, but what I think is he was just, I think he was referring generally probably to his finals record. And actually, it's not great. He's, he's, he's undefeated in 250 finals. He's really good in them. Take those away. He's 3-13 and 13 in finals, win-loss record. He's lost a load of 500 finals. He's lost a few... Masters 1000s, obviously a Grand Slam final. And maybe that's a bit of a problem for him, finals. Um, so, yeah, he, he's in a fascinating place, Sitsipas. I, I, like you, I can't quite figure him out and figure out what to do with him at the US Open, where he's never reached the second week, I don't think. I found it a very strange performance in that final because it's not like he just showed up and it wasn't his day. He took a 4-1 lead, mm. didn't he? And he looked to be picking up right where he left off from beating Medvedev. And then it just all disappeared. And then suddenly he's looking absolutely exhausted. And I just, it never really occurs to me to question Sitsabas's fitness. He always seems, you know, it's just, it's just not really a factor in, you know, he's, he's supremely fit. That's, 
tick in that box. But he, it, I, I found it quite alarming how suddenly and completely... He always looked sort of haunted. Um, and it seemed to happen very, very quickly. And then, as you say, Matt, at the end, at the end there, d- tactical exhaustion, possibly. Yeah, I, I mean, we'll I never know, but um, playing possum a little bit. Um, very, very bizarre. But he was his backhand was getting beaten up by Chorich, who's got a a really solid, mm-hmm. bruising mm. backhand, and and I think that I'd love to see the stats on net approaches for the week versus say a year ago, because I and I I, I, I don't have this as as fact, but I suspect that Mark Philippoussis being in his corner has influenced how he's gone about his business the last few weeks. And will do at the US Open, i.e. somebody who had a really good slice back on himself. And it was really sort of an aggressive slice. And he, and he, he went out to use it. And, and he could also drive it and go over the, over the backhand as well. And he came to the net. He came to the net a lot. And I think that Philippoussis really rates the basics of Sitsipas's game. Yes, there are a couple of technical deficiencies. We, we often talk about the service toss and looking off balance and that kind of thing and the service return, etc. But they're actually quite similar players. If you look at the two of them, Philippoussis and Sitsipas, both one-handed backhands, both love to go to the net. Sitsipas much lighter on his feet. He's, not, he's somebody who's cat-like with his reflexes. And I think that Philippoussis probably looks at that movement that he's got and how light he is on his feet and thinking, imagine what I could have done with that, that sort of lightness. He doesn't have the sort of ball strike, the, the destructive, concussive ball strike that Philippoussis had, just point over power uh, in one shot every time. But I think Philippoussis is is getting stuck into him, and it's probably going to take a little while. But I think I think I wouldn't mind a bet that that Medvedev win is part partially down to him, and I reckon that he'd he got he got got it all wrong. I think Sitsipas in that final. I think Chorich dragged him, and I think he does this to people. He kind of almost hypnotizes them to come into his kind of match gets them into these routines from the back of the court. And he's also quick on the retrieval so he can whip the ball past you. And and he lulls you. He lulls you into his own rhythm. And it's quite ponderous between points. And it's quite. And he had the gall to complain about Sitsipas's time he was taking between points. But That was quite funny, wasn't it? It, it was very funny. But I, but I think that that showed fangs. That showed... I am going to be a bit of an arsehole at the, yeah. in this match if I need to be. And I'm going Absolutely. to point out his behaviour if I don't like it. And I know everybody thinks I'm a nice bloke, but actually I'm not when we're out here. I'm a killer and I'm going to go out there and I'm going to win. And, and I mean, he was bloody good, wasn't he, all week? I, I do wonder if that this, you know, journey that he's been on, I, I think both physically with all the injuries and emotionally obviously those two things are very related has enabled him to grow fangs or sharpened his fangs I mean you're right you don't expect it of him partly because we you know we've watched a lot of Borna Church we've seen him not recently perhaps but we've seen him play good tennis but you know we've never quite put him in that conversation and I think possibly lack of evident fangs might have been a, a factor in that and he's got that incredibly deliberate service motion hasn't he or or not even necessarily the motion there's a sort of build up to the serve and you think come on this at least look like you're gonna smash him in the face or something you look like you're gonna 
I don't know. It just it's just not it's it's not intimidating his service motion, but his game is intimidating. And I don't know, he's a steely look in that guy's eye. I would not want to cross him right at the moment and he's he's been through some stuff. I mean, yes, he's had the the shoulder surgery. That's his that's the most recent part of his journey. And I said earlier that I hadn't thought about Borna Church in two years. And the last time I, you know, really, he really registered on, on my radar was the match he played and won against Stefanos Tsitsipas at the 2020 US Open, which was an epic, but was played at about four o'clock in the morning to an empty stadium um, and was deeply weird as lots of things were in in 2020 before that the last time I thought really thought about the career of Borna Choric um, was as you hinted at there David when Matt went to his press conference after his loss early at the the 2020 Australian Open Matt remind us about that yeah, it was it was a press conference in I don't know room four or five in Melbourne, a really tiny room, and it was just me and some Croatian journalists, and I was a bit puzzled by what was happening to Borna Cioric at that stage because, as I said, end of twenty eighteen, I was really quite high on him. I thought he was going to probably break into the world's top ten, and then twenty nineteen, he he just couldn't buy a win, and he said in that in that press conference at the 2020 Australian Open, that he went on court expecting to lose. Can there be a sadder quote, really, for a tennis player? You know, it was just the perfect illustration of how low his confidence was. And I do feel like this is kind of... It's kind of a second innings, really, in in his career, isn't it? He's completely reinvigorated at the moment. And... To think that you know he was he was the original next gen guy in my mind you know in in terms mm. of the fact that he obviously not new balls please and all of them but once they started next gen he he was he was the poster boy for it with his wins over Murray and Nadal as as a teenager and he's just been overtaken by everyone else you know virtually Rublev and Tsitsipas and Zverev and Medvedev in large part because they've been able to stay fit and he hasn't. And and also, you know, they maybe didn't have those confidence issues that that Chorich had. So to see him back I think I think is is really cool actually. And yeah, he he seems to be playing in a in a reinvigorated manner and I think that's that very much ties in with, with what you're talking about, that sort of new killer approach that he's got. The um the match of the week on the men's side, I think was Carlos Alcaraz against Cam Norrie, which again, completely unexpected to me because I've watched them play. I've actually watched them play twice this year. I know they'd played three times previously, but I watched the match they played at Indian Wells and that wasn't particularly close. Alcaraz really had Cam Norrie's number there. And then there was the match they played in Madrid, which was closer and in fact, the scoreline suggested it was very close, but I still really felt like Alcaraz throughout had Cam Norrie's number um, in Madrid. So this result somewhat surprised me, Cam Norrie. I think it was a massive win, actually, for for Cameron Norrie. Um, I should stop being surprised by Cameron Norrie is, um, 
is is the bottom line. And I'm going to now because I've gone from being surprised every time he wins to just putting him in my US Open mix. <laughs> so that's that's how scrambled my brain is about tennis at the moment. But um, but it was a fabulous match, wasn't it? Oh, it's it everything really. It was late at night, packed crowd, both of them going toe to toe, clearly loving the battle. Both of them. That that's something I I enjoy about Alcaraz just as much as I do about Nori. That this thirst for a tussle. Let's let's just have it. And um, I think that the the surprise in a way is that we've seen the afterburners that Alcaraz has in his game. That suddenly he steps on it, and usually he just trails off into the distance but that was earlier this year that hasn't been happening of late he, he's been getting some results but and getting to finals but he hasn't been winning stuff and he hasn't been just destroying the opposition I think because he's just not playing quite as well and and uh, an element of it as I think that the players are starting to work out some tactics I think Norrie's a, a real student and he will have gone back and watched those previous matches he had against him he looked at other players who've had success against Alcaraz and just believe, he believes in himself, yeah? He gives himself no doubts in his mind. I mean, he, he had that cracking match against Andy Murray. I was probably, the the result I was most surprised about all week was the fact that he ended up losing to Chorich because, um, you know, he's he, he just seems so reliable. Now, that's got to be credit to Chorich to, to some degree. But Norrie just goes out and expects to win matches against whoever it is. And uh, and I think Alcaraz got close in this one. Um he still has a little bit of a highlight real player about him just at the moment, these last two or three months, where, he's, where his base game is not getting it done. And he, he ends up being the one everybody's talking about. And then you look at the result and realise he's lost, even though he's on all the clips. So he's got to find that balance, really. Yeah, I think he's, he's become a bit more erratic, hasn't he? He's lost some of his shot tolerance some of his point construction is maybe not what it was back in the spring just an unreal stat for me is that he hasn't lost in straight sets all year i find that astonishing you know there's been mm. there's been there's been no day where he hasn't been competitive every single match he's he's been in and probably capable of winning um Probably the Sinner and Zverev ones at the Slams in the summer were probably kind of his least competitive ones, but he still did manage to make them close in part. I, his his competitive juices, as you said, David, are so strong. And yeah, I, maybe it's not going to happen quite as quickly as as I thought it might. But I'm I'm just still just so high on on Alcaraz generally. He's fine. What aren't you high on at the moment, <laughs> Matt? Can I offer you a a Caroline Garcia. <laughs> yeah, high on that as well. <laughs> <laughs> right. Is How she in the mix? Is she in the eight, mix? Eight wins in a row. <laughs> yeah, it's all very Emiratikanu, isn't it? Coming through qualifying, winning the title. Can she continue the run? <laughs> she's in the mix. I mean, the thing about Caroline Garcia is she's never been in this form going into a slam because, of course, when she had that amazing run of form she had, what was it, five years ago now, winning the Wuhan-Beijing double, it's what we always say, that that kind of came at the worst time of the year in terms of being able to build on it and take it into a slam because it was just the end of the season. Here, 
you know, she's won titles on every surface this this summer. You know, Bad Homburg, Warsaw, and now and now this. And she's for the first time going into a slam with real momentum behind her. And I think in the past we've, you know, if 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 ever anyone has picked her to do well at a slam, it's because of what she might be capable of, rather than the current form that she's in. Um, and she's brilliant. She's serving really well. She's the ace leader on the tour and she's returning. You know, we've talked about it before, but she's so, so aggressive on return. It's really intimidating to play against, I think. And she just seems to have a clarity of thought that that is what she's doing now. That is how she plays. And it's maybe cut out some of the doubts. And I felt in the final against Kvitova, she just played the big points so, so well. There were there were 12 break points in the match. She won 11 of them. She she saved all eight she faced and she converted three of the four that she had and put that with the current confidence that she's in and she's not going to be losing. She's, she's brilliant. And for me, historically, is the only reason why you would have a sort of question mark over whether she's in the mix or not because her current form and the form of some of the bigger players mean that she has to be. She has to be. She's playing so well. The thing is, there's a lot of history, though. Mm. She's 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 not a young ingenue <laughs> of the tour anymore. I I agree. She's in the mix. My problem is that I also think she's in the mix to lose first round. <laughs> Absolutely agree. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, and and uh, I I was going back over her results of her career um, before we started recording, and and it, her win loss record is quite interesting. Year on year, it was fifty fifty basically for for several years. She'd win one and lose one, and that, that's just the way it worked out in her career. And then in that twenty seventeen year, she won forty eight matches and lost twenty two. Suddenly, this massive turnaround. She backed that up the next year, and it wasn't quite as good but it was still heavily weighted in that way last two or three years have all been 50 50 again or worse and then this year she's gone 33 wins sort of 16 defeats so she's back to that kind of 2017 ratio and and I always remember the start of the 2018 year. I'd been commentating for BT Sport on the WTA Tour and, and commentated on all of that run, the Wuhan and the Beijing, and then going into Singapore, and she, she reached the semifinals there. She was just the talk of the tour in so many ways at that point. It felt like this was the start of something, not the culmination of something. And then she went into the next year, got to the fourth round of the Australian Open, and just got socked off the court by Madison Keys. And... and I remember watching her just unable to handle the ball speed on that particular surface in those conditions. And I do think, depending on the conditions, it, it, she her game is so finely tuned. She's like a like a sort of sports car, and I kind of feel like if something's just a little bit out, everything can can go awry, and she can end up losing heavily. So and and I think because she's doing this this aggressive stance on the return and standing two feet inside the baseline, which I love to watch, I love that that's that visual. But my word, it can go it can go off the rails dramatically and quickly. I just feel like maybe I mean she's twenty eight years of age now, and I just think that the the fact that she is in this form coming into a slam, like you say, I think that that could be this could be it. I, I think I'd expect her 
to, to contend more than a would Maria Sakkari, for instance, as an example. Somebody who's been at the top end of the game two or three years in a row. I think she's more, much more in the mix um, than Sakkari, say. I agree. Sakkari is, is not in my mix. Um, but define it, David. This could be it. Be oh. more specific. <laughs> the thing is, I, I kind of feel like what you've just said, Catherine, I, f- I feel like there's not going to necessarily be an in-between here. I think she either bombs out and loses first round or she ends up in the semi-finals or better. Mm. Um, because her game matches up against everybody now, pretty much. She's got that lovely late top spin drop on the forehand that I love watching. Um, she's She's so physically impressive to to watch she's just a great athlete and mm. uh she's played a lot of doubles you know she won the the, the doubles with Mladenovic again this year at, at Roland Garros so I feel like everything's right and you know she's got a coach that's not her dad now and I feel like maybe that's good f- for the balance and um so forth but just she just needs to keep this belief because that's that's what's coming through is watching a match is this overwhelming confidence, and when she's confident, I mean it's Petra Kvitova for goodness sake she's just beaten a two and four or whatever it was you know and um and she's done it in several tournaments this year she that th- that's not a flash in the pan that and it's not just two weeks in a row it's it's spread out since before Wimbledon so I think she's going to have a deep run. I think she's going to go to the semis. Wow. Um, I don't see, there isn't uh, even a draw yet. <laughs> Matt, in terms of your um, your tennis drugs of choice, are you prepared to dabble with a bit of Petra Kvitova? <laughs> well, I think, to me, it was it was kind of a bit like Halep last, last week in that it was just a reminder of, how good she can be and how strong that generation has been when, you know, we're often talking about, you know, I think for obvious reasons, younger players. Um, And in a way it was just classic Kvitova really, wasn't it? It just was a peak week and you didn't see it coming and it was really hard to stop when she got going. Um, I just think with, with Petra Kvitova, whenever she does, well, frankly, anything, it's just worth repeating her story and just, you know, how she suffered severe tendon injury when she, when she suffered that knife attack. And it was not likely at all that she would even play again, let alone play at this level again. So I suppose for that reason, I always get a bit of a kick out of seeing her do well still, you know, and to to think of the heights she's hit post that attack really have been pretty extraordinary when you consider what what she went through. But probably probably she gives me less confidence than Caroline Garcia. And even though she is the Grand Slam champion out of the two of them, she's the one who's who's gone deep in a slam. To me, this felt more like Kvitova, what she's done over the last few few years. Just a great week hitting 30 winners in every match and she's brilliant. To me, it feels like there's been a change in Garcia. And that's why I think sort of out, out of the two of them, I'm kind of more excited about Garcia's chances in New York. By a bit of contrast, I wanted to talk about uh, Jessica Pagula, who ended up losing in the semi-finals. Um, because I feel, 
a, 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 a an incredibly difficult draw aside, I feel incredibly confident in her reaching, at the very least, the fourth round, you know, probably quarterfinals, of her living up to her seeding. But I'm not sure she's in my mix. She's I know only, what you mean, yeah. She hasn't won a title since she won that Washington title in 2019. And there has to be a reason for that. I'm, I'm so impressed with her. I'm so impressed with what she's done. And I'm so often impressed with her on the court. The Her match against Emma Adekanu last week was, was brilliant. She beat her in two straight sets, but it was so intense and competitive. And she she brought the best out of Radicano. I think it was a great week for Emma Radicano, who we'll come on to. But yeah, I feel so contrastingly about Jessica Pagula to how I feel about Caroline Garcia, which was which is, you know, if I if I put her in my quarterfinals, I really feel like she won't let me down. But I'm not sure she's in the mix. Discuss. Well, I, I I would have picked Pagula to win the title after watching that Raducanu match, uh, which was a good match. I thought Raducanu played pretty well, and she just she just couldn't quite handle the relentlessness of the mm. pace of shot coming away. And um, then to find out the next day, I mean, the, these matches were too too late for me to watch live, so I was going up and catching up on them. But I was often finding out the results before um, before I saw them. To find out that she then lost in straight sets to Caroline Garcia was a surprise to me. Um, and then then when you watch it, you kind of get it. that There is a, a Gears thing maybe there that she's... Maybe it's a bit Cam Norrie-like. You know, there's a this this woman is going to deliver for you. She's going to bring it. She's going to play really well. But does she have that extra gear that sends her all the way? Don't know. Matt? I agree. I, th- I think that's a really good. Do you need the gear? I think that's a really good assessment, and 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 actually, it matches up with her game, doesn't it? You know, she's she's got a reliable game, but as you said, when when it counts in the really big matches, there are players who have got who have got more gears and can can just take it that little bit further. But I, I agree. I think if she gets a good draw, no reason why she can't reach the quarterfinals I mean I should say she has had some very tough quarterfinal draws in slams you know she she kept running in to Barty and Sviontek and you know if, if she is manages to be on a different side of the draw that maybe I, th- I think there will be a section in the draw that breaks wide open and she could kind of walk right through it but if there's someone left in the draw who is you know kind of a top tenner in that late stage I wouldn't necessarily back Pagula to be beating her, but as you said, I'm, I'm confident she's going to have she's going to have a good U.S. Open, and I mean she's the U.S. number one, isn't she? Going in, going mm. into the U.S. Open. I mean that's that's amazing. Couple more players that had a, a great week in Cincinnati that I wanted to touch upon. One I've already mentioned, Emma Raducanu. Is she in the mix to defend her title? <laughs> I can tell you both hate that. <laughs> Question. Well, the thing is, I would say no, in as much as it would genuinely surprise me if she won the US Open, but she's already won it. So I believe she's, so I know she can do it. I, I'd be surprised where we are right now. So I would say no, she's not. But then if she went and did it, it wouldn't be the same surprise that I would have with other players that I wouldn't include in the mix. That doesn't help. Very much. <laughs> no. So categories of surprise. 
Thanks, David. <laughs> uh, she's I, I'll she's not in my mix. I would be very surprised if she won the US Open. I, I don't. I I think she's again, you know, draw dependent here. I think she could have a good title defense. I do. I think she's I think she's playing pretty well. Um, she likes the balls, but she's not. She, she likes the balls, and as we've established, lots of the main contenders really don't. Mm. And whether they're overreacting or not, the fact that it's clearly in their heads that much not good, is it? Um, isn't for good for them. No, not at all. Um, so yeah, I think she's going to have a good title defense. She's not in my mix, Matt. Agreed. I I, I would be surprised given everything we've seen this year, if she manages to defend her title. Yes, I would be surprised. She can't be in the mix. But I agree. I think she can win a few rounds. She's playing much She's playing much better than she has been, I think, at any point this year, really. Final name for you, Madison Keys. She likes the has balls. Reach, has reached a US Open final. Loves the balls. Had a great Cincinnati Beat the Wimbledon champion, beat Igor Svantec, reach the semis. Is she in the mix? I'm saying no, because historically there's too much evidence and not enough recent evidence to override mm. the history. Yeah, this was in keeping with what Madison Keys does. You know, she's won Cincinnati before. Mm. Oh, she- that was the that was the year when she wore those brilliant trainers. Yes. Do you remember? With a bit, a bit of leopard, leopard print, print and a bit of fluoro. Oh, they were great trainers. Didn't you buy them? I don't, I don't remember any of I tried. I tried to buy them and was unable, so I, I bought a shoddy replica <laughs> pair. Um, you, you're absolutely right, Matt. This this isn't new for Madison Keys. She's, she's done this before. Um, yeah. Okay. Sold on not putting Madison Keys. In the mix. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust proof stainless steel hardware, weather ready teak, and quick dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hello, tennis podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking. And I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. 
Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. In the doubles in Cincinnati, uh, Rajiv Ram and Joe Salisbury won their third Masters 1000 title as a team. They beat Tim Puetz and Michael Venus 7-6, 7-6 in the finals. Tim Puetz, incidentally, is one of my favourite doubles individuals to watch. Big fan of it. He's very, he's got a lot of flair. Yeah, he, Tim he is good to watch. He yeah. was in the Davis Cup finals, wasn't mm. he, a lot last year. And I remember thinking something similar, you know, you your eyes drawn to what he's just able to do on mm. a doubles court. And I end up think, watching him thinking, why can't he play singles if he's this good? You know, but then it's a totally different sport, isn't it? Uh, the doubles was won by Ludmilla Kitchenock and Yelena Ostapenko. US Open mix, anyone? Ostapenko? No. <laughs> okay. Um, they won their biggest title together as a pairing. They defeated Nicole Melikar Martinez and Ellen Perez in the final. That's back-to-back uh, finals, isn't it, for Melikar Martinez and Ellen Perez? They lost out to um, Pegula and Goff last week. The match that sent Coco Goff to doubles number one. It's uh, Kitchenock and Ostapenko's second title of the season. They are number two in L Race. Coco Golf, incidentally, is going to play the US Open as the doubles number one, and that is brilliant. This week, there are tournaments are happening. Uh, the ATP is headed to Winston-Salem, where Grigor Dimitrov and Dominic Team are playing. Uh, Jack Draper as well, Lorenzo Musetti and Maxime Cressy in the mix, David. I'm being facetious. <laughs> Maxime Cressy is not in the mix. Uh, the WTA are in Cleveland. He might be for Winston-Salem. Oh, it's, it's tennis in the land. It is. We like yeah. this. Tennis in the land. Uh, playing there, we've got Barbara Krejcikova, Elisa Mertens, uh, Martina Trevisan, uh, Clara Towson. Where's she been? She's had injuries, hasn't she? Uh, Sophia Kennan and Elise Corne. And there's also a new WTA event, I think, in Granby, Canada, where Daria Kazakina, Harriet Dart, Kaya Yuvan, Doris Saville and Diane Parry are playing. The first victim of Caroline Garcia in the qualifying this last mm. week, she was. And that's it. Those will be the last tournaments to be played before the US Open gets underway in earnest a week today as we record on Monday. The draw is on Thursday, which is the day that we fly. Uh, media day is Friday. Um, we can't wait, as we've very much established. We'll be recording two Tennis Relived episodes this week. Tomorrow... We'll be recording the Tracy Austin story. 
David, you've been speaking to Tracy herself. How was that? Oh, it was fantastic. Fantastic to talk to her. And, and there's so much about her story I didn't know. Um, she's somebody that I, I, I told my, my mother yesterday, we're doing a, a tennis relived on Tracy Austin, and her eyes lit up. You know, she was like, oh, yeah, I remember Tracy Austin. You know, And, uh, and I think there's she's part of a lot of people's consciousness from a period in their lives a long time ago and even even mine I, I i remember her very vaguely as a as a small child hearing the name and obviously as as i've got involved in tennis and realized a little more about who she was and who she is and have since had a chance to commentate with her i've 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 always been interested in really trying to understand her story because it is a fascinating one her her period of relevance i suppose at the very top end of the game was dramatic and yet short and so that the chance to tell that story and to talk to her herself i mean i loved every minute of talking to her and and i i i'm really looking forward to recording that with you both don't have long to wait david that will be recorded tomorrow uh and will be made available to friends of the tennis podcast and then later in the week recording in new york city it's david does the 90s <laughs> i was gonna say you thought he was excited no. about tracy austin <laughs> <laughs> no research needed for this one <laughs> at all um it is the 1991 jimmy connor's story that run to the semi-finals that just stands out in the minds of anybody that watched it anybody that was able to bask in the glow of that at the time. Unfortunately, that wasn't Matt and that wasn't me. Um, but we're gonna we're gonna get high on David getting high <laughs> on the nineties, <laughs> and uh, we can't wait. David's been speaking to people who were there and getting retrospective FOMO. Yeah, I've got one of his opponents from that run. Oh. It was great fun. It's going to be good, folks. So if you want to become a friend of the Tennis Podcast, to be able to listen to those two episodes, our US Open Review show, plenty more shows to come throughout 2022, then the link to do that is in our show notes. We have a mascot for this episode, and it's Pudding. Uh, Pudding is owned by Liz. Pudding is a cat, by the way, with lots of very majestic fur. And those sort of lime green eyes that absolutely pierce your soul. Um, Pudding loves the snow. She lives in Canada, so that's a good thing. And eats spinach, which Liz says she knows is weird. And I agree, Liz, but very healthy. Uh, She's a rescue cat of no apparent breed, although she does resemble a Norwegian forest cat in both appearance and habits, ultra hairy ears and paws, and the snow thing. I mean, I I would say, Liz, it's not like she's got really hairy ears and paws and everywhere else is nude. She's sort of (laughs) hairy all over, I would say. Looks very prepared for the snow. Very. She's wearing a big fur coat and she looks fabulous. Um, we have had quite a few messages from listeners lately asking how their pet can be a tennis podcast mascot. Everybody wants me to describe their pet as 
hairy. Um, <laughs> the, <laughs> the opportunity for your pet to be a mascot for the tennis podcast in 2023 will become available in early December. That's when we will open additional annual options for friends of the tennis podcast to make their pets our mascot on an annual or an episode basis and listeners can also become guest editors for Tennis Relived or for Q&A episodes. Um, you can take us on in predictions and you can figure out what on earth to do with Caroline Garcia. <laughs> um, so if you want to shout out, introduce a podcast, any of that, um, you will have the opportunity to secure that for 2023 in December. Um, so go to our friends page, which is linked in our show notes and we'll give you we won't you know we won't bore you to death but we'll give you periodic reminders uh, so thank you for pudding thank you to pudding for being our mascot for the week we'll have a picture of pudding in our newsletter and on the gram uh david say hello to darwin All right darwin how we doing <laughs> Um, <laughs> I, I can't answer that for you, David, but I, I hope Darwin is well. Uh, I leave a silence so that Darwin can answer. <laughs> um, I also hope Carter is doing well. Hello, Carter. We picked Medvedev this week. We're, we're doing a badossa with Medvedev and he's letting us down. Uh, Matt has the dearly departed Gerald. Don't worry, Matt. None of us scored points this week. Uh, Billy Jean, who is... Um, by my side, quite literally right now, uh, is sponsored by Billie Jean King and Alana Kloss. Uh, we have our executive producers, Chris Albert Lee and Kyle Weingartner. They're both top blokes. And we have shout outs, Matt. We do. We have Andrea Kavanagh. Andrea says, known as Andy, and uh, I'm in Dublin, Ireland. All right, Andy. Love that. Hello, Andy. Kavanagh, I feel, like, I feel like there should be some tennis Kavanaghs, but I'm not sure there are. Mm. Mm. Can't think of any. And I can't think of any players recently from Dublin. There was a Conor Neyland. Oh, yes. Or Nyland, uh, who's from Ireland, but... That, that, given how many listeners we've got in Ireland now, because I, I know this because we get contacted with quite a few and I love that, but why haven't we got any players in Ireland? We should have some. Yeah, I, d I don't have an answer to that. Andy, do, <laughs> do let us know on behalf of your country, why are you better at tennis? <laughs> that's, that's what you're hoping for from your shout out, isn't it? Andy, thank you ever so much for supporting the tennis podcast. Uh, Matt, who's next in the firing line? <laughs> that would be Chris Loomis in Los Angeles. Oh, Los Angeles. Hello, Chris. Uh, City of Angels. Yeah. La La Land. I had a lovely time in Los Angeles when I went over for uh, Indian Wells all that all those years ago, and then had a lovely trip up and uh, you know walked the stars. You know, the did you Hollywood stars? Yeah, yeah. Did you do Loved Disney? Of course, I do oh. Disney wherever I can. <laughs> <laughs> I've, ne I've never done. I've done Universal Los Angeles, but I've never done Disney. But it's it's on the list. Very much yeah. enjoyed Universal. I mean, frankly, I enjoy any theme park. Mm. I've had to Cincinnati look taunts at King, you, doesn't Kings it? Kings Island t taunting me all week. 
Kings Island, I will be back to you one day, I promise. <laughs> anyway, Chris from Los Angeles, where David had a great holiday. Yeah. Ever, thank you ever so much, Chris. Cheers, Chris. Between the theme park and uh, the baby, we haven't talked about the baby in Cincinnati. The Gerber baby. It's quite a viewing experience on the telly. I have a theory that they've made it creepier this I swear this it's bigger. Year. It's definitely bigger. It's, it's bigger it's de- and its features are more defined. Like it's got it's really popping. sort of groomed eyebrows. <laughs> I don't think babies have eyebrows at all, let alone sort of supermodel eyebrows. <laughs> Very distracting. Anyway, that's over for another another mm. year. Who's our final shout-out? Final one is Lauren Vale and Ben Wilkes, and they're in Charlottetown, Prince Edward Island, Canada. Wow. Ooh. I think Amazing. Prince Edward Island's beautiful, isn't it? I think that's a, a place to go. I love the idea of being from somewhere called Charlottetown. And I, I know Lauren from Twitter. She's she's quite active uh, on she's Twitter. Great. She's she's really good. Yes. So Lauren, Thanks, Lauren, is it Lauren and Matt? Did you say Lauren and Ben? Lauren and Ben. Yes. Just got Matt's on the brain. <laughs> <laughs> they actually used to live in West Sussex, which is uh, my neck of the woods. Well, and they said they had two years living in England. They saw Emma Raducanu win her third round match at Wimbledon. And then oh, they, wow. they spent the entire week on the ground at Queen's. And they saw David and Catherine several times but were too chicken to introduce themselves oh. as they were obviously working hard. Well, you know. <laughs> um, know very well, well don't worry about it, Lauren and Ben, because uh, you said hello remotely and we're saying hello back. Yeah. So hello and thank you. Uh, thanks to all our friends of the tennis podcast as i've said mucho content oh god i hate myself um lots of content coming your way this week uh and if you want to become a friend the link is in our show notes obviously subscribe to the newsletter it goes without saying folks it's free why wouldn't you do it the link to do that is in our show notes we'll speak to you soon from New York City. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to health care, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.